Hello, this is Gary Michaels, and this is Chin Radio at 97.9, 1204, on a glorious sunny afternoon in the nation's capital. This is uh, the 24th of May, and uh, for those of you who are uh, heading down to the uh, the rally for our uh, hockey team, the Ottawa Senators, what an exceptional day this is. There are so many people uh, gathered there, and I just want to remind you about traffic. You'll just have to uh, be very, very carefully about that. And we have an awful lot of uh, uh, vehicles. Uh, it was very slow this morning, folks trying to get into work. I know a number of our folks here at the office uh, got in a little late because of the traffic. But it was wonderful to see everybody out there. And uh, it's going to be a fabulous, fabulous gathering. We're going to go to the telephone in just a bit because I have Ernie Tannis on the line. And we'll check with him right after this. Thursdays at 12 noon, we offer you the program on ADR, Alternative Dispute Resolution, and today a very special show uh, where Ernie Tannis uh, got together with uh, a special guest and uh, talked about a topic that is uh, uh, probably uh, close to everybody's heart. Uh, Ernie, great to have you with us over the phone. I know you want to introduce this program today. It's uh, it's something that uh, uh, many people are probably familiar with. Tell us a bit about today's show, please. Well, thank you very much, Gary. It's good to have a few minutes to uh, do this little lead-in to this wonderful show on cancer prevention. It's, uh, that's what it's about. It's about time. It's about prevention. The two fantastic guests you'll hear about on the show. And um, it just happens to be on the same day that my sister-in-law is having her surgery with, with a very, very compassionate medical team at the Ottawa General Hospital, to which we express great thanks and uh, um, and wish the whole family and them well. And it's uh, interesting, Gary, that in terms of the alternative dispute resolution, it's all about options. And uh, I took my car into South Bank Dodge today. This is sort of a, you might wonder how this connects, but <laughs> bear with me. Oh, wait a minute now. Is this a free plug for South Bank? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're great down there. I'm only kidding. They are but, great people down and, there. And so, um, so I, I told the, uh, Dean Martin, in fact, the guy's name, I couldn't believe it. I said the, 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 the true Dean Martin must have been mixed up for him. But uh, I said, the air conditioner is not working. It's my first summer with the car. It turned out that there was a button I had to push. I mean, I, you know, but, you know, I, I tell that story because I needed a toolkit. I needed to know what to do. I needed to know what my, unless I knew that, I didn't know how to fix the problem. And that's what EDR is, to inform the public about different options, get information to them. And I was uh, somewhat surprised, and I'm going to follow up with this. I don't know why this happened, but I emailed the uh, patient information and advocacy section of the Ottawa Hospital. It's a wonderful department there. I've, been, I've interacted with them before, and I sent this notice of the show, and I was sort of anticipating that that would be a good conduit for them to send that off to all the health professionals to be aware of this most important conference. There's hundreds of people coming. There's dozens of speakers. You'll hear all about it. And I got an email back this morning saying, uh, you know, please uh, you know, do not send this information to me. And I thought, who else do I send it to to get it out to the health professionals that this is happening? So I'm going to follow up to see what, you know, what, how do you get information to people? And uh, 
So what I'm glad about is that this is going to give me an opportunity to raise the dialogue at different levels yeah. in terms of the matter. But, uh, well, it's, uh, you know, it's funny how this show, is. coincidentally, almost every week or so, we just sort of align ourselves with what's happening. We're very fortunate. Mm-hmm. And an and interesting point, uh, Ernie, you make, because sometimes people just don't want to, they want to bury their head in the sand, or, and I'm, I'm, not into, I'm not insinuating that they're trying to cover anything up at all, but uh, truth be known, I mean, if there's information out there that we should all be aware of, put that information out. Let's educate the people. You know, last night, just before we get into the program, last night I attended a benefit night for... Uh, uh, Larry Hill, the deputy uh, police chief uh, with the Ottawa Police Service. It was a wonderful night. And at the end of the evening, uh, Larry got up to say thank you. And the one there's, there was one phrase that he used that made an awful lot of sense to me. He said, you got to learn to learn. That's right. And the more I heard it, the more I ran that through my mind, I said, you know, it makes so much sense. Open your mind to learn. That's right. You know, we don't want to open our minds so much that our brains fall out. However, we need to know. I phoned Larry Hill yesterday and explained that Yumna and I would not be there last night for him and Barbara only because of my sister-in-law situation. Right. He was very understanding. Right. One of the concerns I have, and I'm sure that's not the case here, but I want to explore it. As you know now, Gary, and as I'm understanding as we now go into our 121st show, alternative dispute resolution to some institutions, whether it's uh, this industry or that industry, feel they're threatened. Like if things, if people became... If we're into fire prevention and cancer prevention and conflict prevention, a lot of institutions and bureaucracies feel, well, what's going to happen to our jobs or our funding? And I'm sure that's not the case here, but I wonder sometimes if um, we need to be upfront with that fear or whatever it is. And uh, so I'm really grateful to the lady at the uh, hospital, the information, uh, patient information advocacy. She's going to allow a dialogue. What I did do, Gary, was I did email the webmaster at the regional cancer foundation i didn't say anything about what i just said but i said look can you get this information out because i'm going to invite them to a future show to listen to this cd so we can as a society look at all the schools of thought and as larry said you know one thing we learn is how little we know and the only way to know how little we know is to learn more as larry said and that's what's going to happen today i think we're going to open our minds to um and it's good. We're going to use our brains today. Our brains okay. will not fall out. That's great. Ernie, thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to seeing you. And our, uh, our wishes and our prayers are with your sister-in-law as she undergoes her surgery today. Thanks very much. Thank you, sir. Right. Bye-bye. Welcome to the Alternative Dispute Resolution Weekly Thursday series. Co-host Gary Michaels. He's here in spirit, but not in body today. And I thank him again and Chin Radio and... And Jeff, who's helping us with this pre-tape today for this ongoing series of public education on ADR. We are going to be uh, airing the show the same day as the beginning of a fantastic conference that's going on in Ottawa. In fact, the title of this show is the title of that conference, Cancer. It's about prevention. It's about time. And we have with us two remarkable guests, uh, Liz Armstrong and Karen DeConing. Welcome, both of you. Thanks, Ernie. Glad to be on. Same here. <laughs> I'm going to be reading from your, the biography. There's 40 speakers this weekend, and we're going to hear all about it. Then the listeners are going to find out how they can sign up for this conference and learn more about it. Let me um, introduce Liz Armstrong. In addition to being co-author of Cancer 101 Solutions to a Preventable Epidemic, is a writer, photographer, and teacher who lives and works in Erin, Ontario, northwest of Toronto. She co-wrote the 1992 HarperCollins Canada book Whitewash with environmental lawyer Adrian Scott. She is principal author of 
the background paper for the 1999 conference, Everyday Carcinogens, Stopping Cancer Before It Starts, and was editor of that conference's proceedings. Liz is a co-founder of the Women's Healthy Environments Network, WIN, and the Breast Cancer Prevention Coalition, now the Saunders Matthew Cancer Prevention Coalition. Liz, welcome. Thank you. And Karen DeConing has been chair of the Saunders Matthew Cancer Prevention Coalition since 2004. A graduate of the University of Toronto Political Science, she spent her life dedicated to volunteerism and has many awards for that. After 20 years of involvement in visual arts, she was diagnosed with breast cancer in 93 and her life forever changed. Since then, she has been president of the Canadian Breast Cancer Network, facilitated a breast cancer support group for eight years, sat as a board member of the Canadian Breast Cancer Research Initiative and the World Conference on Breast Cancer and many other groups. She's been on working groups. She's been a um, graduate of project lead in the United States, sat on peer review committees. Her current focus is with the uh, SMCPC, the saunders Matthew Cancer Prevention Coalition. I don't want to forget to say it's thanks to Ron Suter. It looks at the links between cancers and the environment, what we can do to prevent cancer in the first place. She works locally with the Maycourt Club and a board member of the Miles Miracle Mission Cancer Assist. Karen, welcome. Thank you very much, Ernie. Well, what I wanted to do in our first segment is ask both of you, maybe we can start with you, Liz, to... um, discuss um, how you got, what is your background? What is your journey? How did you get into this field? And also, when we did the um, notice of the show, it says, in honor of Rachel Carson, author of Silent Spring, Honor Centenary. So Liz, I wonder if you can take some quality few minutes, and then Karen, I'll turn over to you to discuss your um, the spirit that brings you to this field, to brings you to this conference, and um, to honor Rachel Carson. So Liz, I'll turn it over to you. Okay, thanks, Ernie. And I think it's fairly simple. I grew up uh, in Toronto and uh, in the 50s and was uh, old enough to remember the uh, whole series of uh, DDT springs uh, in ravines and really across the city. Um, back in those days, it, it was a, a whole campaign really in cities uh, uh, right across North America and uh, intending to try and wipe out mosquitoes. And instead, what it did was it wiped out a whole lot of other wildlife as well. And I remember being uh, uh, incensed as a teenager uh, during those years to not not ever be warned of these springs and uh, to to see the aftermath of what occurred. And being completely uh, enchanted and actually inspired uh, in 1962 when a, a book uh, by Rachel Carson called Silent Spring was published, and it seemed like one woman taking on the world. Silent Spring had a, an enormous effect on uh, life back in the early 60s. It, it actually transformed our attitude towards trying to subdue nature and turn it to, a, to our purposes alone. Um, anyway, that was a, a really amazing time back in the early 60s, and, and uh, Rachel Carson single-handedly, I, was, I suppose one could say, kind of struck the match that lit the modern environment movement, and, and uh, within a few years, most uses of uh, DDT and other uh, related pesticides had been banned in the U.S., and, and the bans extended into Canada and pretty much around the world. Well, you, your website is uh, preventcancernow.ca. And you uh, mentioned your connection. And uh, before I uh, bring uh, Karen on, can you, because uh, we talked about this in preparation for the show, and I think it's a really interesting story. And I always like the listeners to get to know the guests on a personal level, because we all are on a journey for our common well-being. I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind uh, discussing uh, your relationship, how that came about with the um, 
Saunders Matthew Cancer Prevention and how this conference came about. In the second segment, we're going to talk about the details of the conference, but I just want to put a context about you both will be here until Sunday morning. The conference will be on. Could you give us that sort of uh, history and connection? Well, it's interesting. I I don't remember all the details, although I do remember that there was um, uh, some really exciting activism in the States going on uh, in the early 90s around um, uh, breast cancer and its environmental links. And I had um, just finished writing a book called Whitewash with Adrian Scott of Ottawa and was invited to go down to the United States to be part of a a group that really talked about how to put cancer prevention on the um, agenda. And uh, uh, shortly after that, there were several meetings in the Toronto area and elsewhere. And uh, we decided to start a group called the Breast Cancer Prevention Coalition. And I remember the first call that we put out actually captured many women and a few men and one of them was this wonderful person from Chatham, Ontario, named Karen DeConing, who, uh, if you recall that, Karen showed up uh, here for a meeting, I believe it was one weekend, one Sunday afternoon, and things got underway from there. Well, that's great. And um, maybe, uh, Karen, um, you could you know, come in now and sort of uh, link up to that and maybe ask both of you to talk uh just generally about the uh, conference that's coming up. I also want to quote before the end of the first segment and uh, something from the Toronto Star that you brought to my attention. Uh, but Karen, why don't you please share with your journey and maybe uh, tie into some of the things Liz has said about the um, the links between you, between your organizations and the uh, intention of this conference. Right. Well, I came to uh, where I'm at today uh, a little different route than Liz. I guess my first shock was when both my can- parents were diagnosed with cancer within six months, months of each other. There had been no previous history of cancer in our fa- either of our families. All my grandparents had lived to be close to 90. And here are my two parents in their early 60s. Um, my father diagnosed with lymphoma and my mother with breast cancer. That was a big wake-up call for me. Now, I, along uh, while I was growing up, I grew up in the west end of Toronto, but I always, also had the privilege of spending a month each summer, summer with my aunt in Muskoka and had from a very early age developed a love of nature and the environment. And that was always important to me. I guess it wasn't until my own diagnosis in 1993 that I really started to ask a lot of hard questions and was not getting the answers that I wanted to hear. And so it was actually after my diagnosis that I became a breast cancer activist and became linked up with Liz and the Breast Cancer Prevention Coalition. And um, from there, I, as, as you mentioned in my bio, I went on to sit on a lot of boards having to do with breast cancer. Um, but eventually I just reached a point where I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't feel like I'm making a difference. I want to back off and focus on prevention in the environment, uh, which is where I believe the, the major link is to cancer. And uh, so I became involved with Liz, and eventually uh, I met Ray Mathy. Ray Matthew was the original founder of an organization out of Ottawa, which was um, a breast cancer foundation for cancer research. And Ray was an elderly gentleman when I met him, very passionate man. Um, He lost both his wife and daughter to cancer, both to breast cancer, and was in his later life diagnosed with prostate cancer from which he passed away. Ray and I became good friends and had a lot of wonderful conversations. And as time wore on, I won him over to the idea of prevention. And we decided to found a whole new organization. 
and merge the Breast Cancer Prevention Coalition with his organization. We had the expertise in the, um, the area. They had the money and the charitable status, so it was a, a really good partnership. It took me over a year to complete the um, merger because their organization was based on a trust document, which I basically had to take and rewrite from scratch. And then, of course, we had to reapply for charitable status. So it took about a year, and unfortunately, um, our charitable number came through just about three weeks after Ray passed away. And so we have gone forward since then. I have a wonderful board. We are all passionate about the cause. Uh, needless to say, five of, eight, of the eight board members that I have have all had various types of cancer. Well, certainly a credit to uh, everyone on both organizations and both boards on that. And I got to know Ray Matthew, not personally, uh, Karen, but um, I went to the uh, funeral and R- Ron Suter, I guess, who's the vice chair of your organization, yeah. d- delivered a beautiful eulogy. It was yes, very, very inspiring. Oh, yes, yes, you probably, well, you didn't, I don't think we met then. No, but, but uh, I was there. <laughs> it's a small world and, you know, it is a small world. I wanted to... Uh, quote something from this article, Liz, that you brought to my attention from the Toronto Star calling winning, winning the war on cancer from May 22nd, 2007. It's, it's headed with Liz Armstrong and Angela Rickman. And there's a quote here that says, we need a comprehensive approach that corrects current chemical policy weaknesses, embraces a, quote, better safe than sorry, end of quote, precautionary approach with regulatory teeth, demands transparency for all new substances, and embeds, quote, green chemistry, end of quote, the design and manufacture of products that end or radically reduce the use and creation of hazardous substances. This connection that you're making is really remarkable. I've had on the show here many people, including uh, Elder Algonquin um, Chief uh, Commando, who said on the show, and he was diagnosed with cancer, and he was told he wasn't going to live long. He's 92 now, and he said, unless we deal with the environment, doesn't don't people understand that Mother Earth needs to be nurtured and the chemicals are causing these problems? This connection that's being made, um, would both of you like to elaborate uh, on that quote I just gave uh, in terms of the listeners, you know, maybe not realizing that the, there is a, as night follows day, you know, this is what we have to say. Liz? Sure. Thanks, Ernie. I, I would just say that, um, you know, in the aftermath of what occurred with uh, Rachel Carson in the 1960s, I mean, there was a whole, quote unquote, chemical revolution going on. There was also, and she wrote about this in her book, although most people who have read it forget this part. She also wrote about uh, nuclear radiation, because in the 1950s there were an awful lot of um, above-ground nuclear bomb tests going on, and it it just showered uh, radioactive substances on everyone. And what happens is they uh, move up the food chain and they become part and parcel of our our quote-unquote body burden. And lately, uh, environmental defense in Canada has been doing a lot of tests on body burden uh, for, for politicians, for uh, the artist Robert Bateman, et cetera, and it's showing that, you know, we, we, even though they're invisible to us uh, when they come up the food chain or we drink them in water, et cetera, the, that enough chemicals accumulate in our bodies to have uh, uh, health effects. And that's what, you know, Rachel Carson was arguing back in the 1960s for something that we now call the precautionary principle, better safe than sorry. If you're going to invent new chemicals, which has been done in the tens of thousands in in laboratories on behalf of major corporations like pesticide companies, then there has to be a way that society knows that they're going to to not have uh, not just short-term acute effects, but also long-term effects. And we're just learning now, I think, what the long-term effects 
decades later have been for introducing these all these chemicals without really very much uh, uh, safety testing at all and certainly not long-term safety testing. So we're living with a legacy of uh, a huge uh, revolution in the chemical industry that never really spent enough um, time and effort on uh, being better safe than sorry, the precautionary principle. And while Rachel Carson's book did alert people to the whole issue, um, the chemical industry uh, basically shouted her down in lots of respects. And while there were a few pesticides banned back in those days, nobody really paid enough attention to what uh, she called the golden opportunity to prevent cancer. And in fact, she died from cancer in 1964. So, you know, here these four decades or so later, we're still dealing with a situation where chemicals basically had free reign for an awfully long time uh, in our society and still have effects. Well, thank you, Liz. And I, I'm sorry to say that we're only got a couple of minutes left on this first segment. I'm happy to say we'll be back shortly into the second segment. And Karen, I'd like you to maybe comment in, in the couple of minutes we have. I want to tell the listeners that you also have a website, stopcancer.org, Correct. and people can register for the Cancer Prevention Walk run and roll for cancer. I'm wondering if you could uh, maybe comment on what we just talked about in terms of the environment and also maybe mention about this walk, run and roll for cancer. Well, I think Liz has summed up certainly the problems with the chemical industry that we've been facing and also the nuclear. One thing that she didn't touch on that I think is very important is that one of the things that we're seeing um, over the last number of years is a rise in hormonally dependent cancers, i.e. breast cancer, prostate cancer, testicular cancer in young men. And a lot of this, we believe, has to do with these synthetic hormones that are in our environment, which are causing havoc as well. We've certainly seen the results of that in wildlife in, uh, for example, Dr. Theo Colburn's book, which came out a number of years ago, uh, again, following in the footsteps of Rachel Carson. She looked at what was happening in wildlife and um, all the abnormalities that are occurring in various species of animals that have to do with reproduction. Basically, what we're seeing is that that was the canary in the coal mine of what's happening with humans now. In regards to the run, walk, and roll, this is a partnership, again, that we have done together over the last couple of years in that we are the flow-through organization for the run. We have been uh, raising money for cancer prevention over the last several years with this activity. Last year, we piggybacked on the London Marathon, the Ottawa Marathon, there were people running all over the country. There was even, I think, Liz, someone in Europe that just yeah, ran the run. A couple of people. Right. And uh, last year we raised, I think, $125,000, And um, we have a charitable number, so therefore our organization can issue charitable receipts for anyone that participates. There are also people that are doing other activities uh, that are not necessarily related to the run to raise funds as well. I know uh, Liz is doing her fundraiser after the conference. They're doing a dance-a-thon, and uh, my son and I are going to do a swim-a-thon. Uh, we're planning to swim 10 miles for cancer prevention, and that will be our contribution. Well, thank you, and we're going to have to run into the second segment, but I really, uh, as I told you, this is like a conversation, fire chat, a time goes by quickly, and even with all the complications, when I hear what you say, and it just seems to make so much sense, it reminds me of what my dean used to say, eventually we have an illuminating glimpse into the obvious, and it's obvious that on 97.9 FM Chin Radio ADR with Liz Armstrong and Karen DeConing will be back to share other enlightenment in the second segment. How do you save your energy in the summertime? 
easy with a Comfort Maker air conditioner. Keep cool with Comfort Maker. The high efficiency pays off right away in energy savings. The whole system is quality built for durability and comes with an exceptional warranty. What more could you ask for? Prices start at $15.95. Call Airmetrics Heating and Cooling, 613-235-8732, and ask about a Comfort Maker air conditioner. You keep thinking about volunteering, but thinking isn't quite the same as doing, so we'd like to make it easy for you. We're Citizen Advocacy, and we match up adults with other adults with disabilities. As a volunteer with Citizen Advocacy, you don't need any special training. You just need to commit an hour a week. That's it, and you'd be surprised how good that hour a week will make you feel, not to mention the person you're volunteering to be with. Visit everydaychampions.ca and see what you think. Weekends on Chin are music, information, and variety. Saturdays, Chin offers Dutch, Hungarian, Ukrainian, Serbian, and Mandarin programming. And add to this, Italian, Arabic, Punjabi, and Haitian, and you have a diverse blend of what Chin Radio is all about. Chin 97.9. Welcome back to Alternative Dispute Resolution, our 121st show. Cancer, it's about prevention, it's about time. That even is a good rhyme. And uh, we have with us uh, Liz Armstrong and Karen DeConing, and we're going to talk about the conference that's coming up uh, starting May 24th, University of Ottawa, for the weekend. I look forward to being there. And I notice that you have Henry Lickers, who's with the... Turtle Clan Seneca, Director of Department of Environment for the Mohawk Council of Aquasasti near Cornwall. Now, I must say, when I talked to Ron Suter, he noticed that. And I wanted to share with both of you that in 1990, when I was with the Canadian Institute for Coffee Resolution, for a lot of reasons, which uh, were a little bit mysterious, but turned out to be very uh, challenging and a great privilege. I was a conflict resolution consultant with the Mohawk people during their civil strife in 1990 to 1991. And in that intervention, and I learned a lot about Aboriginal wisdom, and they set up an mediation center in that strife against all odds. To their credit, it's a great model. And I met Henry Lickers, and I'll never forget him. He was welcoming, and he um, combined Aboriginal wisdom with science in a way that I'd never heard before and tied together the environment and all the rest of issues. And that's when I really learned that ADR is about our relationship with each other and we have to have a relationship with the environment. It's the combination of those two philosophies and practices that will bring us well-being. So I'm really glad to see that he's kicking things off, and um, I really hope to be there. So, Karen, maybe, Karen, I can start with you this time. To me, talk about the specifics of this conference. The logistics must be amazing. You've got up to 300 or more people coming. You've got 40 speakers. Maybe you can discuss the 
the the whole notion and purpose of the conference and how it's going to be structured and how people can register. You know, I think Liz is a better person to handle that than I am because she's been involved uh, up to her eyeballs with uh, the conference organization uh, as well as Angela Rickman, who is is in Ottawa. Um, our organization has come in um, as a financial sponsor, a co-sponsor of the conference, but I personally have had nothing to do with the actual planning or organizational logistics of the conference. Well, so I think Liz can speak better to uh, how that was all done. Okay, that's good. And before I pass it over to Liz, I just want to maybe, if you can share with the listeners a little glimpse on, apparently on, uh, I can see from the schedule here, Sunday on May 27th from 9 to 10.30 a.m., there's some opening remarks by yourself. Can you give us a sense of the gist of what those remarks will be? My remarks will primarily be uh, my own personal story, because I think sometimes we need to put a face to cancer. I know a lot of the people that are attending are, are not going to be cancer survivors. And I think that sometimes a personal touch of what your own journey has been puts it in a more emotional um, slant to uh, the whole issue of why we want to prevent the disease. So I will be speaking um, a little bit about my own story and also about some of the, the politics of cancer and the issues that I feel that um, are not being addressed by a government. Well, thank you. And I... Um Life is about storytelling. In fact, history is his story. And let's hear her story, Liz. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yes, about the conference. Well, it's, uh, and Karen, uh, I think, uh, is, is fairly modest about it. She, she has had uh, some input into what the program will be and certainly been hugely supportive uh, right through this whole process. Um, but we do have a, a, a number of extraordinary speakers coming uh, over the weekend and presenters. We have p- people like Sandra Steingraber, who is a cancer survivor, a mother of two young children, and the author of two superb books, one called Living Downstream and the other uh, Having Faith, uh, and a, it's an ecologist's journey to motherhood. And she talks about the whole issue of environmental links to cancer in both of those books. And they're superb books and, and are highly recommended for anyone who's trying to get their feet wet in, in this issue uh, because they're written not for a scientific audience but for a lay audience, but with plenty of detail in it that one knows that she uh, did an extraordinary amount of research when she was uh, writing both of these books. So Sandra will be there on Sunday morning. Uh, Karen's introducing her. There will be a woman named Deborah Davis who is um, an epidemiologist, and uh, she's the head of an organization called the Center for Environmental Oncology at the University of Pittsburgh Cancer Institute. And while I don't want to sort of weigh uh, listeners down with her academic credentials, which are pretty important, but she's also a great writer and quite a, for a scientist, quite a remarkable activist. Uh, Deborah wrote a book um, that was released in 2002 called uh, when smoke ran like water, she grew up in the very heavily polluted town of uh, Donora, Pennsylvania, where the uh, coal mines and the steel mills were, and um, a lot of cancer in her family. And it was just an accepted fact of life. It was the, the you know, the price of uh, of life really, and the and the cost of doing business really was um, that one sacrificed health uh, in order to have and keep jobs in those days. So she's coming, and she's a, a great speaker as well. And then we have a constellation of other really important people um, who who speak out on these issues, like a woman named Deborah Lynn Dad, who uh, had a 
terrible environmental environmental sensitivities back in the early 80s. She was actually a concert cellist and uh, began to really suffer from uh, a chemical sensitivity. So she took it upon herself long before there were other resources to begin to find the things that uh, would allow her to live in a healthy fashion. And there are a lot of uh, things in our own homes that are very toxic. And so she has spent the last 25 years finding out what the safe alternatives are. So she's coming up from Florida. And there's some great Canadians as well. Well, that's great. And I noticed that there's um, 11 pages here. This is just solid pack. I mean, I really would recommend any listeners who have who can take the time and make the time, I guess they can register at uh, the website? Yeah, they can register at preventcancernow.ca. And they can also, it's also um, important to know that, you know, one doesn't need to come for the entire conference. You can pick and choose. You can come for a day or uh, an event. In fact, uh, we're having the screening on Saturday evening of a brand new documentary called Toxic Trespass, a film about children's health and the environment that uh, was uh, the executive producer is a woman who's on the Prevent Cancer Now board, uh, Dorothy Golden Rosenberg. We are having, you know, some uh, anybody who's interested can come just for Sunday morning to hear Sandra Steingraber, to hear Karen, to hear about our first annual Cancer Prevention Awards, and um, hopefully to see a little clip about uh, Rachel Carson, because that is her exact centenary, uh, May 27th, 2007. Well, what a great link. Now, it's at the University of Ottawa. It is. One of the buildings there, and that could all be found on the website. Yeah, it's at the Jock Turcotte building and then the University Centre. And there'll be lots of signs. Oh, that's that's great. And um, I'm wondering if I could ask you another question, both of you. I I have a a client, a a friend, a colleague, Paul Bendis. He's actually been a guest on the show a number of times, and he's a a dedicated listener to this show. And uh, he says that these shows are great. But what he feels that uh, that there's a lot of rhetoric in that, do people walk the talk or do they just talk the talk? And he felt that, you know, when it comes down to it, it's individual lifestyles. Now, I've been to his place. He composts. He doesn't use bottled water. He's just wondering whether, unless individuals, one by one, you know, do something themselves to keep blaming the corporate structures and uh, pointing the finger, isn't necessarily, as I would put it, pointing the way. I'm wondering... People sort of feel helpless. What can I do? I'm just a ripple in an ocean. How important is that comment by him that unless we start our lifestyles in our own homes, and you had mentioned, Karen, about the household chemicals, what can listeners who are listening today do really do and think they're making a difference, even if it looks small? I, I think we need to ask ourselves, what is lifestyle? Because we've, we've had a definition of it that says don't smoke, don't drink too much alcohol, stay out of the midday sun, etc. And And I think that our Western lifestyle is way bigger than that. It's all about the cars we drive, the products we use daily, et cetera. And we appeal to people. Of course, it's just a, hor- a terrible idea to smoke cigarettes. You know, to be smoking is the number one cause of, of cancer. And so we're really on board with all of those messages from the Cancer Society that says, you know, really have good personal habits. But our lifestyle is way, way more than, than our, our personal habits, as important as they are. And, you know, if you were to go through a typical day in the life of a, an average person, you'd realize that right from the time the alarm clock rings in the morning till the time they go to bed again at night, that they're exposed to all sorts of uh, chemical and electromagnetic hazards, et cetera, that are, prevent, are things that can 
uh, be made much safer. So I think that the other thing that's occurring at the conference this weekend is the, the launch of a, a book that, uh, that's been written called Cancer, 101 Solutions to a Preventable Epidemic. And its focus is on what people can do. We don't want to, to frighten people or scare people off. Uh, we want to say, empower them and say, here are literally hundreds of things you can do to make your home safer, make schools safer, make workplaces safer, et cetera. And I know I mentioned you had Dr. Rapp on the show and she's got a website and she's got a million, million tips for day-to-day stuff. And what you're saying, there's some things beyond our control, but we have to be conscious of it. Karen, we have a couple of minutes in this segment. Would you like to um, add something on this issue? I think Liz has covered certainly um, uh, very well the whole um, issue of that as a citizen, we can do way more than we, than we think. Yes, we've got problems with government, and that's a big, big problem. But on a day-to-day basis, there, there are many, many things that, that we can all do to make our homes safer, our workplaces safer, you know, and this is a very, very important issue. And I know that this will be talked about a lot at the conference. I think a lot of, a lot of it is, first of all, we have to educate people and teach them what they can do. Um, once you've told them, for example, that a lot of the cleaning products that you're using in your home are toxic, there are such simple alternatives like using, you know, vinegar and baking soda and, you know, easy things that are cheap. Not all, you know, um, solutions to environmental problems have to be expensive. And that is one of the things I think that scared some people off. For example, the price of organic foods when they first came on the market were extremely expensive. And, you know, certainly people in the lower income brackets would not be able to afford to buy the organic produce. But the proliferation of them now in the grocery stores is increasing on a daily basis, and there are more and more organic farms, and, uh, and as a result, the prices are coming down and making things more affordable. So, you know, that's another factor to consider that, it, you know, the making cho- healthy choices for the environment and for your, your health, those don't necessarily have to be costly choices. Well, yes, and thank you for both weighing in. I guess one of the problems is overweight. I guess the next generation, they say, is going to be a really big problem. And uh, I guess the true wealth is to do ADR with yourself. As we talked, like, uh, cigar- cigarettes also can affect the heart. And uh, if we don't pay attention to what Liz Armstrong and uh, Karen DeConing are saying, then our planet will go up in smoke. But let's make sure that we come back and we'll fire up the third segment about the vision for the future. On 97.9 FM Chin Radio on this EDR show, cancer, it's about prevention, it's about time. It's the fourth annual Chin Picnic, and it's coming Canada Day, July 1st. Keep listening for exciting news from Ottawa's multicultural voice, Chin 97.9. Water, flashlight, radio, what's that? An emergency survival kit. The City of Ottawa website shows how to make one. We need one? Remember the blackout? The ice storm? The city focuses on essential services during a disaster, but we should be ready to take care of ourselves, too. Makes sense. Are you ready? To find out how to be prepared, call 580-2400, check your phone book's red pages, or visit emergency preparedness at ottawa.ca. Do we really need gummy bears? Well, it is an emergency kit. 66,000 children are reported missing every year in Canada. Most missing children are found quickly and safely, but many others are missing for days, weeks, or years. Some are never found. The Missing Children Society of Canada has been helping to bring children back home for more than 20 years. May 25th is National Missing Children's Day. Support the Missing Children Society of Canada by turning your porch light on and help us light the way home for missing children. 
It's time to play What's That Sound? Today's guest, Coach Mike Pinball Clemens of the Toronto Argonauts. Okay, Mike, for 10 points, what's this sound? <laughs> a train. Correct. Now, this one. A car whose driver was paying attention and stopped at a level crossing before the train went by. Absolutely right. And the winner is... The guy's family, Bob. Uh, good point, Mike. I'd like to thank our sponsors, this station, Gretchen 2006 and Operation Lifesaver. They say music is the global language. Hi, my name is Thomas Radford, and every Sunday from midnight till one, I'll be exploring that idea on Culture Shock. It's a program that highlights the many sounds and voices being produced globally today. We play hip-hop, reggae, world beat. We have some interviews. We review foreign movies. Every week is something new. So tune in and get Culture Shock on Shin Radio 97. Point Welcome back to the third segment of Alternative Dispute Resolution that works on cancer. It's about prevention. It's about time. We have on the phone Liz Armstrong, co-chair of Prevent Cancer Now Conference. Uh, their website is preventcancernow.ca and Karen DeConing of the Saunders Matthew Cancer Prevention Coalition and they can be reached at stopcancer.org including their prevention walk, run and roll for cancer. We talked at the um, beginning in the second segment about this conference and how members of the public and listeners can go to and pick and choose when, where to go to. And I'm just wondering, since we have some um, good quality time here, uh, both of you, Liz, if, uh, because you're, uh, as Karen says, tied to the conference, wonder if you can walk the listeners through each segment. And as they listen, they might say, oh, geez, that's something I'd like to go to. And if they can't make it, at least they'll get a sense of it. So if we could do that, start with Thursday night, then take us through Friday, then Saturday and Sunday morning, we can get a little taste of uh, that and have some public education. So if you wouldn't mind, Liz, if you can walk us through that program. Thanks, Ernie. Yes, Thursday night uh, uh, is um, tonight is uh, the kickoff, and it starts at 7.30 with Henry Lickers leading off. Uh, he, he's such a great speaker and a great inspiration. And that leads right into the launch of this new book, Cancer, 101 Solutions to a Preventable Epidemic. And Guy Dauncey, whose idea the book was, is a really great speaker, and he's doing a PowerPoint presentation about the book and what's in it. So that will pretty much take care of this evening. Tomorrow, Friday, starts bright and early at 8.45. We have Suzanne Brandt, actually, who's from Tyendinaga First Nation, who's doing traditional Haudenosaunee uh, Thanksgiving opening 
which should be great. She has a 15-year-old daughter who has uh, done these ceremonies from the age of three, and she's very, very great presenter of the traditional Haudenosaunee Thanksgiving um, opening. And then that leads right into Deborah Davis from the Pittsburgh Center for Environmental Oncology, who I spoke about a little bit before, a great uh, scientist and activist on cancer issues, particularly uh, the hormonal effects of, of chemicals in the environment and, uh, and cancer. So that takes us through the first part of the morning. And then we have, throughout the day, three uh, panels of workshops. And uh, the first panel is at 11 o'clock, and it's things like uh, personal care products, uh, labeling, and the right to know. We have Madeline Bird coming from McGill Center, um, who works with the Breast Cancer Action Montreal on these issues, as well as a, a great fellow by the name of Sean Griffin from the Labor Environment, Environmental Alliance Society from British Columbia. They did a, a book called The Cancer Smart Consumer Guide, which was featured on CBC Marketplace last year. The, some of the other uh, subjects include uh, Dr. Ted Shetler uh, on the precautionary principle. He was one of the founders of a group called Healthcare Without Harm. Uh, there's a cancer and environmental justice panel uh, with people who, from First Nations who've been exposed to terrible chemical exposures uh, at the Amjanong First Nation near Sarnia. There's a woman coming from Sydney, Nova Scotia, whose family grew up around the Sydney Steel Mill and the Sydney Tar Ponds and what's called Whitney Pier there. It's kind of like Canada's worst polluted site. Hmm. And she's going to be speaking, and Ann Phillips from... Uh, Toronto, who worked at the South Riverdale uh, Environmental Health Center uh, for many years, and she's, uh, she's going to facilitate that session on environmental justice. As some of your listeners may know, it's often people of ethnic backgrounds who are more exposed than the rest of us to toxic chemicals because they're often cited in, uh, you know, that live in neighborhoods that are beside or downstream from big uh, chemical companies or other big uh, corporations that pollute. So that's some of the panels that we're having tomorrow morning. And then the afternoon, we're having a, another set, panel B, of, about electromagnetic pollution and cancer with uh, Magda Havis from Trent University. And she does a really interesting presentation that kind of demonstrates how electromagnetic uh, pollution, uh, or, uh, as she calls it, the effect of um, electromagnetic fields on, on biology. And then uh, Glenn Fox, who is actually a, an Ottawa uh, fellow, who um, is doing a panel called The Human-Wildlife Connection with another scientist named Michael Gilbertson. And they're the ones who kind of put some of the evidence together that, you know, it's not just cancer in humans, it's cancer in wildlife, cancer in fish and animals. You may be aware, Ernie, that you know, the beluga whales, for example, in the Gulf of St. Lawrence are often riddled with cancer and uh, because of their exposures, whereas fish in the open sea are, have far less, um, less high rates of cancer. So that's going to be a good one. And then there's also one on pesticide bylaw campaigns with three men who have been very active in getting pesticide bylaws passed. And I gather... Ottawa is still waiting <laughs> to do have a, a pesticide-free uh, bylaw. So that might be of interest to people who are living in, in Ottawa particularly. Mm -hmm. And then we go on and have, uh, you know, other workshops on Saturday afternoon about healthy homes, cancer in First Nations communities, and another one called, a very popular one actually, called Cancer Prevention Le Legislation or Organizing for Change. And 
the, the person who's leading that one off is a fellow by the name of Larry Stoffman, who is a, a labor activist, but he's also with the Canadian Partnership Against Cancer. And he has some really great advice for uh, having activists have an influence on the kind of legislation that we need to reduce our chemical exposures. There's another one on green business and toxic free building Saturday afternoon. One called Toxic Free Schools and School Kids wow. uh, with, a, with a woman from out east who is environmentally sensitive herself and got very active because she wanted to make sure her children were in a safe environment in schools. There are so many wonderful um, workshops to choose from. I know when I first received by email the list of them, I found it very difficult to make a selection of as to what to choose to attend because really I would like to, to be able to have attended all of them. Just wonderful, wonderful choice. Well, for the for the um, after the conference, will people be able to access uh, videos or proceedings of the conference if they were if they missed it or they couldn't get to all of it? We're not videotaping at all, but we are audio taping it, and so um, they they'll actually be able to access the audio tapes. I'm not quite sure how it's going to be provided, but whether through the uh, website preventcancernow.ca or in some other medium, but we are definitely going to capture it. We also have two filmmakers coming to shoot some of the, uh, the proceedings so that uh, they can incorporate them into films. One is a personal look at uh, Sandra Steingraber's work, Living Downstream. And then there's another one, a woman coming from Montreal who is going to be doing a film about the Amgenong situation in Sarnia, Ontario, where the First Nation there has experienced uh, some real health problems as a result of their proximity to the petrochemical companies. When you mention filmmaker, it makes me think of Jeremy Wright. He does the Economics of Conflict series. He did a video called Who is My Neighbor, which is ADRcenter.org, but he talks about um, how we have to look at our value systems, which we forget about, which is the theme of what you're talking about. And when you mention Sandra, I noticed that she gives the uh, keynote address at the end of Sunday morning in Rachel Carson's footsteps, which is sort of brings us full circle to how the show started uh, here. You, there's a couple things that came to mind as you were talking with. I noticed with uh, Glenn Fox, he was raised in rural Saskatchewan. Well, people might not know, but of course, that's where Prime Minister Diefenmaker was from. But it's the farming community and the Mennonite community that really planted seeds for mediation and, and conciliation because they had to learn to work together. Mm-hmm. And uh, really, we all till the soil of our earth. So that sort of made me think of that metaphor. And also, um, you mentioned Tyndanega. Well, I had on our show here, John Miracle. What a wonderful man. I met him in Akwesasne, and he, he taught me about the uh, Aboriginal value systems and other value systems. And we have to go back to basics on that on that stuff uh, in terms of our value systems. And in terms of um, our value systems, you mentioned about the children, and uh, I learned from Akwesasne about the next seven generations, and every teaching talks about what we do for our our children, our grandchildren, and so on, that it's quite a remarkable thing when you step back and realize that. So what is the vision for our future? We have about five minutes left, or maybe if you can take a couple of minutes each to share your vision of, well, you can vision not just for the conference and your organization, but for listeners, what could be our common vision for the planet and why we, we don't have to feel helpless, we can have hope. In fact, that Pandora's box story with all the evils and illnesses went out, you know, it's often forgotten. The last thing in the box was hope, the great antibiotic. Why do you have hope? What keeps you going? What is your vision? Maybe we can, maybe Karen, we can start with you and, and uh, take a couple of minutes and Liz and I'll pass it over to you. Well, I think we have to have hope or otherwise we would crawl in bed and I never want to get out. I know having had, had cancer, I've also suffered from depression on and off and I have to have to keep 
things in focus and perspective and and believe that I can make a difference and that with other concerned people that we t- together can make a difference. The worst thing that I could ever think of would be to have one of my sons be diagnosed with cancer. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, having had, you know, three out of three in my family, uh, plus some other relatives as well um, with cancer, it, you know, I just... I want a future for my children and my grandchildren that hopefully we're going to see the environment cleaned up and cancer rates falling instead of the other way around. Uh, Karen, do you think you'll see that in your lifetime? Well, I may have to live a long time, but I, <laughs> I, you know, I think there are, there are some signs of hope already out there. Um, there are countries that are setting great examples for us. And, uh, you know, if our governments would just pick up and follow... Yes, I, you know, I believe that there is hope. And I think that, you know, if you consider the fact that citizens of Canada now have, have moved from thinking health care was the number one priority to believing that environment is, I think that is a big step in the right direction right there because people are now seeing that, you know, we've got to clean up our environment. Well, that's great. And uh, we're going to clean up this segment of the show, Liz, with, um, with your final comments. And I'll just take 30 seconds at the end. Um, uh, on this 97.9 uh, Chin Radio st- uh, show on alternative dispute resolution, just to remind listeners that um, cancer, it's about prevention, it's about time. You can register for the whole conference or day by day, as you've heard, at preventcancernow.ca, and you can visit the Saunders Matthew Cancer Prevention Coalition at uh, stopcancer.org. Uh, we have a couple of minutes, Liz, if you would like to um, make some comments about your vision. Sure. Thanks, Ernie. I would also actually just quickly mention that one of the sessions that I have not mentioned before is on Friday night at 7.30. It's a session called What Should a Good Government Do to Prevent Cancer? It includes Elizabeth May of the Green Party and Pat Martin of the NDP responding to some pretty good questions about what uh, governments can do. So that's a session that people might want to be interested in. I, I think that the more we can get active to help move our politicians along, the better we'll be. As far as vision goes, I find it uh, really interesting to, the more I read and the more I understand, is that I know that we have the tools in our hands right now to transform the world into a very sustainable, green, healthy place. And what inspires me is, is a lot of younger people really get that, and they're prepared to make whatever sacrifices are necessary to make sure that the generations to come will have a clean, healthy environment and therefore their lives will be uh, less touched by cancer. I, I know it's not a, a an immediate turnaround. You know, a lot of cancer strikes older people. So as the baby boom ages, we're going to actually have a, almost a crisis in cancer over the next few years. But once we really put our minds to it and get kind of an unstoppable movement for cancer prevention going, it will turn around. And um, as Karen says, it may not happen unless we live a very long time, but I think we'll begin to see it over the next couple of generations. It took us decades to get where we are to these historic high cancer rates, and it's going to take us a while to for them to abate. But that's what it keeps me inspired. And I think a lot of people who are coming to this conference, that's what keeps them inspired too.
Well, thanks, Liz Armstrong and Karen DeConing. I think it was Einstein that said, the thinking that got us into this mess is not the thinking that's going to get us out of it, and you've given us good thinking. And when you said good government, I'd like to believe that's not an oxymoron, but we will be morons if we don't pay attention to what you're saying. So <laughs> let, us, let us move from uh, law and order to love and order as we try to order our universe for the well-being of ourselves and those that come after us. Thank you both very much, and thank you, Gary Michaels, and thank you, Chin Radio.